Good morning. It's a joy to be with you. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can turn to Galatians chapter 4, as it mentions uh, there in your bulletin. We'll be looking at Galatians uh, 4 together. It's a joy to be with you. Uh, As was mentioned, I'm an assistant pastor at the First Baptist Church over in Lapeer. Uh, My wife and I have been there uh, over two years now, and uh, just a joy to be with you this morning. It's been a joy to get to know Pete on a few different occasions and uh, so I count it a privilege to be in your midst and be able to open God's Word uh, to you this morning. I want to consider, as it mentions, and even as we recited from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, this idea of adoption. And uh, maybe you, personally, or, or maybe someone you know of and have met, uh, know of people that have adopted children. Uh, my wife and I uh, attended seminary down in Louisville, Kentucky, and one of our one of our best friends was Josh and Jen Philpot, and Josh is now a pastor down in Texas. But one of the things that, that they were going through when we knew them, and it was just a joy to be a process uh, with them uh, in, is they were adopting. So they began uh, just praying about whether or not the Lord would have them to uh, adopt some children, and then they began saving and began planning and filling out paperwork, and filling out grant forms, and just jumping through all these hoops. It was a long process. And then we were able to be a part as they were just praying, and waiting, and and narrowing down a country, and then waiting some more, and then receiving a referral, and then eventually receiving even some some pictures, and some names, and then a court date, and then a second court date, and uh, eventually making the trip. And my wife was at the airport when they, they brought their children home, and we were able to be witnesses uh, for their court appearance when they became their children. It was, a, it was an amazing experience. Uh, and, the, and the parallels are really very real for us. So if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you have an adoption story. right? If you are a Christian, you are a Christian because you've been adopted. right? An adoption that we know, and maybe you can know your own stories that you experienced, uh, is just a picture of what God has done in bringing us into his family through adoption. So this morning we want to kind of deepen our understanding of adoption. And so we're at uh, Galatians chapter 4, just a main passage on adoption, and we'll, we'll kind of park ourselves here to kind of set the tone. Uh, I want to begin with a quote by J.I. Packer on this very idea. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and of having God as his his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. So my goal as we leave from here in a few minutes would that we would better understand our adoption story and in so doing we would better understand our salvation who we are as Christians, what God has done for us in the gospel. So we're going to consider uh, eight truths, right? So if you're a note taker, we're going to have eight truths. But if you're thinking, he has eight points, really? Uh, We'll go through them quite quickly. Some we'll spend a little more time on than others. But kind of eight truths that I just want to glean out from this passage that we might together, those of us that have been adopted into God's family, just leave here with rejoicing hearts. That's my goal, is for us to leave just with greater confidence in God as our Father and greater joy in this adoption that has been extended to us. So I'm going to begin, we'll kind of read the passage as we go. I'll begin reading Galatians 4. I'm going to read the first three verses. 
I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. All right, so he begins with this illustration in verses 1 and 2 of this heir, this young heir. So this is a child that's going to receive everything, but until he receives it, he's treated just kind of like a slave. He's not ready. He's not of age. It's not the time. The father hasn't appointed that time, and so he hasn't received these things. He's too young. But when the father decides, he receives his rightful position, what he has been all along as an heir. And then verse 3 is the key, right? So verse 1 and 2 is this illustration. Verse 3, he draws this comparison, and uh, he says, In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved. And then he has this interesting phrase, the elementary principles of the world. No one is sure what that means, right? You just read anyone on that, and we're not sure what that means. But I think we get some hints down in verses 8 through 11. So look down in chapter 4. Look at verse 9 especially. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak, and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you wanted to be once more? So we have kind of some hints here. What are these elementary principles? Both times it says of the world. So this is a worldly mindset. They're weak. They're worthless. It seems like uh, in verse 10, it, it's, they were even had this veneer of Christianity. They were following this Jewish calendar, but underneath was just this worldly, worthless principles. So my first kind of point, first truth is that your adoption, my adoption was absolutely necessary. This is a description of us, right? We were following these worthless principles, these elementary, these, this worldly mindset. We were marked by ungodliness in need of reconciliation before he drew us to himself, right? We were in need of uh, all these things that we recounted in the Shorter Catechism, right? Justification, adoption, sanctification. We needed God to do his crosswork on our behalf. So the rescue, we could say, that we needed isn't just that a judge would tell us that our sins are forgiven, but we needed, we needed a father, right? We needed someone to draw us into his family. We needed someone to declare us Not just righteous, though he did that in our justification, but declare us sons and daughters. So, formerly, we were empowered, or we were uh, under the power and penalty of sin, but we've been adopted into his family, now safe and secure. So, first it was necessary. We see that, especially from verse 3. Let's look down at the beginning of verse 4. Secondly, your adoption was planned. Your adoption was planned. Just like Josh and Jen adopting Isaiah and Eliana, our adoption spiritually by God was planned. So when the fullness of time had come, right, when everything was just right, just like the father had set a time in verse 2 when he would make uh, his son then a full heir when the time was set. So God the father set a time when the fullness of time had come, when everything was in place. So just like physical adoption requires planning, right, Josh and Jen couldn't just fly over to Ethiopia and be, we want to adopt someone. They would say, no, 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 you need to go back and fill out paperwork and spend money and wait. There's all this planning that needs to be done so that they can go over 
and come back with children that are now theirs. It requires planning. So at just the right time, when the right world powers were in place, when the right promises and prophecies from the Old Testament had been fulfilled, God sent Jesus, right? He had planned it. He sent his son. He moved forward with our adoption at just the right time. Not a moment too soon, not a moment too late. He orchestrated it all. And his orchestration was all for our good, for our adoption. And this doesn't mean that we were, this doesn't mean that we somehow are worthy of this, right? We know this. This isn't because you know, to use, again, the physical adoption, it doesn't, because he showed up at the orphanage and found us and we were, you know, the most healthy, the most lovely, or, you know, we winked back at him when he winked at us and he just knew. No, he did it all for the praise of his glorious grace, right? He did it all for, for his good pleasure and certainly for our good. So our adoption was necessary, it was planned. Third, our adoption was costly. That's, again, the rest of verse, verse 4. When the fullness of time had come... God sent forth his son. This is what Timothy George says here. He says, God sent his son not just from Galilee to Jerusalem and not just from the manger to the cross, but all the way from heaven to earth. The full implications of this text can hardly be grasped in human language. In sending Jesus, God did not send a substitute or a surrogate. He came himself. It was utterly costly. He sent his son. Jesus had to die so that we would be adopted. It wasn't 20 grand. It wasn't 30 grand. No, it was the death of his son. The son of God had to die that we might be brought into his family. Christ, back in chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It was the will of God to crush him. So the wrath of God that we deserved, that was, that was ours, was poured out on Christ. So the Bible uses this imagery of God's wrath against us and our sin as wrath being in a cup, right? And that cup of God's wrath against us was poured out on Christ on the cross until there was just no more. All all the drops landed on Christ. There's nothing left in the cup, right? That is the glory of justification, right? But then once more, as a result of this, he brought us into his family. This is our fourth truth. Your adoption was the reason for your redemption. Your adoption was the reason for your redemption. Right? God saved you so that he might adopt you. He poured the wrath out on his son, a very costly price, so that he might welcome you into his family, so that he might adopt you, make you his own. So we recounted... uh, Three of the benefits, right? Just three. Justification, adoption, sanctification. Huge benefits of God's wrath being poured out on Christ and Christ's death on our behalf. We enjoy all of those. But uh, I think one of the more powerful statements on this, again, comes from J.I. Packer's Knowing God. I'm sure some of you have read that. Uh, He says that adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. He explains that it's even higher privilege than justification, being declared righteous because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. So, just, just think about this for a minute, right? To be made right with God the judge is a great thing. Right? I hope you know that truth. Knowing that when you think about God and think about 
seeking to please Him, you know that that work has been done for you by Jesus Christ and credited to you through the gospel. That is a great thing. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. We have a Father who cares for us. So your salvation wasn't the the end point. He saved you to draw you in, to adopt you, that he might adopt you into his family. Look at verse 5. Galatians 4, 5. I'll I'll go back. Verse 4. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that, here's the purpose, here's why he sent his son, here's why he redeemed you, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Your adoption was the reason for your redemption. So maybe you think much of your redemption, but think little of your adoption. The fact that God has saved you and then brought you into his family. But this should change how we live the Christian life. It affects everything. So think about sin in your life, right? We all struggle with indwelling sin. And when I sin, I'm not sinning against the judge. I'm sinning against my father, right? There's a relational element. There's a relational displeasure. This isn't a guy behind the bench that's displeased with me. This is my father, who at great cost has brought me into his family, and my sin is against him. So it's, it's serious. It's relational. Even when I seek to obey him, right? I'm not seeking to obey this This judge up there? No, I'm seeking to obey my father and please him. Right. So, what a a wonderful picture of God's salvation, right? At great cost, he redeemed us. So this is the the father that, that wins our love by showing love. What a joy it is to be his child. Fifth truth. Your adoption was not based on your worth. And we could go all over the Bible to see this, and we recounted it even earlier in thinking through effectual calling. Uh, it's not, not based on anything that we've done, but rather it's by the free grace of God. Chapter 3 is, is just all about this. So verse 2, it says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit of works of the law or by hearing by faith? So are you a Christian because of obedience or because of faith? answer is obviously faith, right? End of verse 14 in chapter 3. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Verse 26. For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. So God chose you despite of you, not because of you. Right? It was of grace. It was not because of any worth in us. So he didn't wait for us to come of age and prove our reputation. Right? It's not like he showed up at the orphanage and said, well, I want a responsible one here. No, no, no. It was totally in spite of that. We were irresponsible, to use that analogy, right? And yet he chose us out of his free love, not because of our character or record, showed us that we are worthy to bear his name and be part of his family, receive his surname. But no, and just totally despite of that, totally despite of the evidence to the contrary. So think about it this way. If our adoption into God's family was based on our worth, based on something he saw in us, what would that mean for God's love for us? Right? Does he love me or does he love what he saw in me? Does he love what I do for him? Right? What is the grounds for him adopting me? Right. So 
The Bible, again, says if you're saved at all, if you're adopted at all, it's by grace through faith. It's not our own doing. So while we were worthless, God adopted us. So God's love for his children is not based on the fact that we were the healthiest or most most, uh, pleasing, but because of his grace. We met no conditions. Number six. Sixth is truth. And you're saying, man, he's going fast through these. I'm just trying to just overwhelm us with the glories of our adoption. I hope they're encouraging for you this morning. Number six, your adoption means you are a son. Your adoption means you are a son. Verse five says, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So this adoption as sons involves a legal standing, right? Just like in You know, if you were to adopt someone here in the States, you'd have to go before a judge. There's a legal court hearing to make it official. So our adoption from our Heavenly Father, it has a legal stand. He didn't adopt us halfway, right? He calls us sons. He gives us what we would say full sonship. So it isn't, okay, I've adopted you. Now you need to to mature. You need to grow up, and then you'll get the keys to the car. No, it's not, I've adopted you. And you need to show that you have a good driver, some responsibility here, and then you'll get the keys to the car. No, he said, I've adopted you. And here are the keys to the car, the boat, the house, anything you need, it's all yours. Everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us through Jesus Christ. It's it's all ours. It's just full sonship. We've been adopted as sons. So we didn't have to prove ourselves to be adopted, and upon adoption, we don't have to prove ourselves. We've been adopted utterly by his free grace adopted into his family and given these wonderful privileges. Maybe your translation uh, here, I know some do, and I don't know what translations we have in the room. At the end of verse 5 may say adoption as sons and daughters. Maybe yours says that. I think that's, that's great, right? So they're trying to draw out the fact that we saw in 328, which is that your adoption is not based on gender. So it says sons But if you're a sister in Christ in this room, this is fully yours as well, right? Don't think that this isn't for you. This is for all sons and daughters, we could say. And yet it's significant that it says adoption as sons. Because if this said adoption as sons and daughters in the first century, it would just lose something, right? Daughters didn't get anything, unfortunately, right? In that culture, it was sons who got it all. So whether you're a male or a female, or whether you're a son or a daughter of your heavenly father, know you've been adopted as a son, Receiving everything, full inheritance, full sonship. You have it all, we could say. It means you're part of a new family as a son. So as uh, part of this new family, we aren't to be hesitant at all. You know, how sad if Josh and Jen's son uh, had to, you know, pull out his birth certificate and the paperwork every time he wanted something just to reassure himself that this is my dad, and I'm going to ask for more Cheerios. I just want to make sure that everything's in place. Okay, it's in place. All right, Dad, can I have some more Cheerios? No, that would be, that would be awful. And so it is with us. Right? What does the Father give us but his spirit that we might know? No hesitancy here. So I hope your experience of the Christian life isn't bowing your head in prayer and wondering if he is your father. He is, if you are a child, if if you've been saved, if you've been redeemed, if you've been born again, he is your father. Pray with confidence. Address him with confidence. He's given you the spirit. 
We could go to Romans 8. We won't, but it says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Utter confidence. No hesitancy. So he doesn't adopt us and then treat us as aliens. No, he doesn't leave us without feelings of acceptance. No, he gives us that. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit. What? That we've been adopted. That we're in his family. So as we seek him and seek a deeper relationship with him, So these feelings of adoption grow over time. Having been adopted as a son, you, Calvary Presbyterian, you are a family, right? Imagine a family this size where every one of us was adopted. There'd be all sorts of issues, right? We're all coming with baggage and some people aren't feeling like they belong. I mean, we've all been adopted, right? So it is with the church, right? We need to encourage one another, right? There'll be times when we feel like, man, do I belong here? Is this me? Is this really my identity? Is this really my family? What an odd group, right? No, we should encourage one another. This is your family. You do belong. God is your father. You've been adopted as a son. So welcome. Welcome one another. Seventh uh, truth about your adoption comes from verse 7. Your adoption means you are an heir. So I didn't read verse 6, but 6 recounts this fact that we have the Spirit. We might have confidence in prayer. Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So verse 7 makes it really clear that your adoption means you are an heir. So some would have adopted in the first century in order to have an heir. Having an heir was important. So if you don't have children, you might adopt someone, even an adult, just so you'd have someone to pass on your things to. You might have an heir. And so it is with God. He's adopted us and given us full privilege as heir. Right? We will receive these things. We are heirs of eternal life. And we could talk all about this. I will not spend long here. We could say that verse 7 no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. If we were to summarize that, it would just be the generosity. I hope you feel that. Just what generosity to be adopted and then treated this way. This is totally not what we deserve. To receive this kind of an adoption and then to be treated as an heir. Right? Shouldn't I be a second-rate son? And we turn, I mean, the book of Galatians is all about the fact there's no second-tier Christians. That just blows that category out of the water. There's none. If you are a son, you are an heir. You don't have to prove your... No, you're an heir. That's what it means to be a son. You are an heir. So, because of God's generosity to us, we can begin to be generous to others, right? So this is, this is the deep well from which we draw out generosity in our own lives. We can give freely to those who cannot repay us because we've received graciously and freely from one to whom we cannot repay, our Heavenly Father. So this is, this is grounds for us to, to, to just give and be generous with our lives, to live generous lives with time, with money, with energy, with resources, with love, affection, in all these ways. And then eighth and finally, so the eighth truth that we want to draw out uh, from this passage. Your adoption means you have a father. Let's look again at verse 6. It's really what the passage is all about. Your adoption means you have a father. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
right? Your adoption means you have a father. And this relationship, as we've seen kind of again and again, is, is one that's marked by confidence. There's no doubt here. There's no wondering if he is. No, this, this is a confidence ple- confident pleading, right? There's a confidence in prayer. There's no hesitancy. Should I address him as this? No, there's confidence. Our Father in heaven, Christ prayed. So there's utter confidence, right? His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are his children, that he is therefore our Father, so we can address him as such. There's also a closeness, right? We have the spirit of his Son. Christ himself prayed in the garden, Abba, Father, right? There's that relational closeness as we address him in prayer. Having God as your Father means your prayers are not to a distant deity, but to a personal, known Father. What a joy that is. What confidence we can have in that. And I know, as we just kind of all walk in this room this morning, there's some in this room that didn't have a father like that. Right? So all human analogies are, are, are weak for you. They're poor. They maybe aren't even helpful because your father, maybe he was present, but emotionally distant. Right? He was in the room, but he was never there. Or maybe you just never knew your father. Right? But God the Father is, is marked by nearness. Right? He's near to you, so we can address him with a sense of intimacy. No matter whether or not our earthly father was a, a good picture or a bad picture of this, God our Father is like this. He makes it very clear in verse 6 that we can have confidence and closeness and intimacy and affection for our Father. Maybe you feel like, you know, I, I love the fact that God's my Father, but I feel like the prodigal son. Right? And I, I've messed up big time, even as a Christian. All my sins are not, they are in my life, maybe even now. Well, let me encourage you, whether you're the prodigal son or you're the older brother who's judging the prodigal son, God the Father is always like the father in the prodigal son. Always. He doesn't change. You may be the prodigal son more one week than others. You know, this, I, I go through seasons of life where I feel more like the prodigal son. Maybe you feel like a prodigal son this morning. This is how God the Father relates to you Always. Father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. That's the kind of acceptance, closeness we can know from our heavenly father. He runs towards us. Even before we turn to begin to run towards him and just welcomes us, right? Kill the fatted calf. We're having a party. We have a repentant sinner on our hands here, and I'm welcoming him back into the family. What joy that we have a father like that. We have these eight truths from this passage. I think we could draw out more. We certainly could have spent more time on them. I want to end with just kind of two points of specific application for us uh, as as we leave. First, we can be certain God's love for us is abiding. Right? We can be certain that God's love for us is abiding. Think through again just the physical illustration of adoption. All right, so Josh and Jen brought home uh, Isaiah and Eliana, and they, it wasn't like, okay, they're ours, we have the paperwork, we're good. No, they, they have a lifetime of, of proving their love to their children, showing their love to their children. And that's exactly how our Heavenly Father is. Right? He, he wins our affection by showing us affection. He wins our love by showing us love. He extends himself to us. 
His love is abiding. It didn't end when the the legal process was over. No, he continues to extend love to us. And throughout our life in this world and into eternity, right? Packer says this, he will constantly be showing us in one way or another more and more of his love and thereby increasing our love to him continually. The prospect before the adopted sons of God is an eternity of love. So consider what this means. Again, the the Westminster Shorter Catechism just nailed it this morning. What a good setup for this sermon. Uh, Consider what this means for for your assurance. What confidence you have of God of your Father when you consider the great lengths with which he went. He sent his son to redeem you and then bring you into his family. The cost was great and he spent it. He spent his son for you. Consider the great cost with which he the great lengths to which he went to, that you might have confidence that that is the case. So not only did he send his son, but he, he sent his spirit into your life that you might know, that you might have utter confidence that you are indeed his son. Right? He, he did all of this that we might be in his family. So do you think he's going to leave you now? After doing all of that, sending his son, sending his spirit, winning through this costly redemption, your adoption. Do you think he's just going to walk away to abandon you as his son and daughter? No. The nature of your adoption speaks to the nature of his love for you, and it is abiding. It is costly, significant abiding. His abiding love is an encouragement when we face trials, right? We could just stand up and do a what trial are you going through testimony time right now, right? Everyone would have something to say. It might be small. It might be small maybe to others in this room, but it's big to you. And the Lord knows. And what a, what a joy to know that we, we, we're in a family and our Father has this abiding love towards us. So we're not receiving this, this trial, this difficulty, whatever it is, from anyone but a loving Father. He has good intentions for you in that. Right? He means your sanctification, your good, even as He brings you through this hard thing, this hard season maybe. So having God as my father, my, adop- my adoption changes my perspective in trials, right? You can be certain of God's love even in trials because of your adoption. So we can be confident. I hope you leave with the confidence of God's abiding love for you. And then lastly, the second point of application, because of our spiritual adoption by God, we can extend adopting love to others. I hope this is a church, I don't know you, this is my first time in this building, my first time in your midst, I don't know you at all. But I hope you're a church that's marked by adopting love. Loving those who do not have families. So James says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this. If you're like me as a Christian, you want to know what that is, right? I want to try to do that, whatever that is, who's really clear. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Right? So adopting love is expressed in a love towards those who don't have family. Widows, orphans, they, they don't have family. We become their family. So we can extend adopting love towards orphans, to those that don't have a family. Maybe God is calling you to support an orphanage or to... Some other way, make an expression of this kind of adopting love that you've received to then just extend it to others, to extend this kind of generosity, right? It shouldn't be if 
we're doing this, seeking to care for orphans in some way, but how? How are we going to practice this type of pure religion? But then also widows, right? We can extend adopting love to widows. Maybe as the holidays roll around, and they will very shortly, maybe you should think through maybe anew who you invite, right? Maybe there's someone even in this room, you know they come each week by themselves, you don't really know their story, get to know their story, invite them, show adopting love to them. They're part of your church family, bring them into your immediate family, that they may know this kind of adopting love that we have experienced from God our Father through Jesus Christ. Is God calling you to extend planned and costly love to that person, that widow in our midst? I don't even know who's a widow in here, so that's up to you. You have to work this out. Maybe God is calling you to do, to do just that. In conclusion, I just want to say, man, I, I hope this passage has been encouragement to you. As I thought through what the Lord might have me to share, I wanted to, to leave you with an encouraging word from the gospel, from God's redemption, his salvation uh, of his children. It's because God has extended this love towards us, towards us that we can extend it towards others, right? God is the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows. And so we, as those who have been adopted, can extend that kind of love to others. Maybe you are here and, and you don't know Christ. You don't know this confidence that the Spirit gives. You don't know this redemption uh, that Christ has purchased for you on the cross. I would encourage you to talk to someone. We're going to break here. We're going to have fellowship donuts. Just talk to someone. Maybe an elder of this church, myself. We would love to share the gospel, the good news, that you can be part of not just this church, but a part of God's family and have God as your father and have this kind of confidence. If you would, we're going to close now with a hymn of response, uh, number 574, A Child of the King. Uh, number 574, A Child of the King, if you would stand.